Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Most studies on the theme of Passover in the Gospel of Luke have been confined to the story of the Last Supper, Luke 22. Danny Christopher, on the contrary, seeks to show where, how, and why Luke uses the theme of Passover throughout his two writings, Luke Acts. Join us as we talk with Danny Christopher about his recent book, The Appropriation of Passover in Luke Acts. Danny Christopher earned his PhD from Durham University in 2016. He's assistant pastor at Kapembri Church in Jakarta, Indonesia, and lecturer at Great Commission Theological Seminary, also in Jakarta. You're listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Danny, thank you for joining us on New Books and Biblical Studies. Yep, thank you so much for having me. So Danny, tell us about yourself and how you came to write this book on the Passover in Luke-Acts. Okay, about myself, I'm from Indonesia. I now live in Jakarta. I'm currently one of the pastoral staff at my church in Jakarta. And at the same time, I also teach at the School of Theology on a part-time basis. So um, a bit of history. During my university time, I learned a lot about Bible from the Bible study group with the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And it was there that I began to have the interest or passion to learn about the biblical studies. So I went to Singapore to study my theology degree in Singapore Bible College. And it was there that I began to have this interest in the New Testament, especially in the book of Luke and Acts. Because there we can find, I, I found many uh, pattern and repetition between the two books, which I do not uh, realize before. And then the interest grew not only in the narrative of Luke-Acts, but also in the use of the Old Testament um, in these two books. So now um, we have this uh, multiple interrelation between Luke and Acts and between the old passages and Luke-Acts. So when I had the opportunity to study my uh, doctoral studies, I knew that I would focus on Luke-Acts and the interrelationship within them and with the Old Testament. But when I began my doctoral study, my concentration is more on Luke 22, the story about the institution of the Lord's Supper. Uh, what interests me is, is that in that passage, we find uh, three major themes being weaved or intertwined together. So we have the death of Jesus, the kingdom of God, and the Passover. So this is clear, especially in Luke 22, verses 15 and 16. So I wanted to try to investigate the exact relation among the three um, however, after some discussions with my supervisor, it became clear that it was better for me to focus on one of the three themes. And I found out that there already exists a number of studies and books on both the death of Jesus and the kingdom of God in Luke. Uh, 
Um, however, it was not the case with the study on the Passover in Luke. There was no published uh, academic book on this topic. So that's the, 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 the conclusion is that uh, I, I, I want to do a, a research or focus on this area. So the book that we will discuss today is basically the result of my uh, dissertation uh, research. So it, um, basically that was it. Let's begin with the topic of Passover. Would you explain the original occasion and importance of Passover for our listeners? Um, yeah. Uh, to answer this question, I will use the book of Exodus, especially chapter 12 and 13 as the basis and uh, point of departure. Um, now, the original occasion of Passover, Passover is a Jewish festival that commemorates how God uh, liberated the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. So when the Israelites uh, cry out to their God, he remembers his covenant with their forefathers and the God of Israel tells Moses that he has come to deliver them and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. So it is this promise that is fulfilled in Exodus 12 and 13. So especially important is the term to bring out or ex argo in the Septuagint, which is concentrated in Exodus 12 and 13, or I will call it the Passover story or Passover episode. There are no fewer than seven references um, to the term to bring out. So for me, this is uh, important because even though Israel's final victory against Egypt takes place later in the parting of the sea, the term does not appear there. So it's safe to conclude then that from a literary point of view, um, the Passover episode is the beginning and the decisive moment of the uh, Israel's deliverance or the Exodus uh, liberations. So this beginning yet defining moment consists broadly of uh, two interrelated stories. So the first story is the enactment of the 10th plague. So in the book of Exodus tells that there are 10 plagues that fall unto the Egyptians with the purpose that uh, Pharaoh would release the Israelites. But every time he would refuse uh, accept the final or the 10th plague. So the 10th plague is the death of the firstborn. So it is due to the, this death plague that Pharaoh finally will release Israelites from Egypt. And through it, God will punish uh, the Egyptians. But unlike the first nine plagues, the last plague also threatens the life of the Israelites. So this gives rise to the second story, that is the institutions of the Passover. So if we read Exodus 12, we find that God commands the Israelites first to sacrifice the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. They are to slaughter it at twilight and roast it. And then second, they are to smear the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost of the houses. And thirdly, they, at the same night, they are to eat the Passover meat with uh, bitter herbs and unleavened bread. In later traditions, wine is added. And fourth, they are to eat the meal in haste, hurriedly, 
to be ready to go. So this is the first uh, Passover ritual. So because of the uh, Passover ritual, um, while death terrorizes the Egyptians, because of the Passover ritual, there will be no death that falls on the Israelites. So the blood of the Passover um, becomes a sign for the Lord. So whenever God sees it, he will pass uh, over the house. So in short, the Passover is the means to which God protects the Israelites from the, the death threat. So basically, that's the significance of the Passover ritual. Turning now to the Gospel of Luke, in what ways is Jesus' passion portrayed in terms of Passover? Um, yeah, the Passover theme appears in full force, I believe, in the story of the Last Supper in Luke 22, verse 1 to 20. Uh, in that passage, Luke uses the theme the, or the motifs of Passover in various ways. So firstly, he employs the Passover time marker to frame not only the Last Supper, but also the death of Jesus. So on three occasions, the Passover time marker is closely related to Jesus' passion. So we have in verse 1, Passover is near, and then in verse 2, the chief priests are trying to put Jesus to death. And then in verse 7, we have the uh, day of the unleavened bread, but on which it says that the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So I understand this, uh, the, the phrase, the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed as a symbolic reference to the necessity of Jesus to die. And then we have in verse 14, 15, verse 14, when it says, when the hour came, and in verse 15, Jesus is eager to eat the Passover before he suffered. And secondly, Luke makes use of the Passover story in a uh, storyline to depict Jesus' passion. So he combines the death threat motif and the involvement of the evil entity to shape his narrative. In the Jewish Passover story, Israel faces a death threat, as I told before, and you have this personified destroyer there. But in Luke, Jesus faces a death threat masterminded by Satan. So moreover, Luke places the ritual before the actual salvation is executed. So this chronology uh, mirrors that of the Passover story in Exodus 12. And then thirdly, Luke recalls the sacrificial elements of the Passover ritual. So Luke basically uses sacrificial language in the depiction of the Last Supper meal. He also notes that the Passover lamb, as I told before, has to be slaughtered, a possible prefiguration of the necessity of Jesus' death. Um, however, the association between the Passover lamb and Jesus here is rather vague. And finally, Luke uses the Passover meal to frame the new ritual meal of the Eucharist. In particular, the Passover meal components, the bread and the wine, as well as the commemoration element, have been transferred into the Eucharist. So Luke also associates the meal components and the commemoration motif with the imminent death of Jesus. So 
In my opinion, it should be clear by now that Luke primarily used the Passover theme in relation to the death of Jesus. So Passover becomes a theological lens to explain the necessity of Jesus' death within the broader salvific uh, program. Um, I'm not, in, in my book, I'm not claiming that it is the only explanation of the death of Jesus, nor is it an exhaustive one. It's true that Luke employs many theological motifs to explain the reality of Jesus' death, but Passover is one of the major theological lenses. Now, this finding is an important complement to some models proposed by a number of scholars to explain the death of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. So for many scholars, they question whether Jesus' death bears any salvific significance in Luke-Acts, and majority of them deny such a notion. So scholars have tried to find an alternate model to explain better the Lucan data. So some of the models seek to compare Jesus, for example, to certain individual types. So these range from seeing Jesus as a martyr or a righteous sufferer or the suffering servant, the second Adam to um, the Hellenistic noble death. So while these models are very diverse, they all have one similarity. All of them exclude or diminish the apparent role of the Passover in the death of Jesus. So by intentionally or accidentally setting the Passover theme aside, explanations of the death of Jesus become rather fragmented, showing no strong continuity with God's salvific act found in the Jewish scripture. And, and furthermore, while modest which liken Jesus to the Jewish martyr or righteous sufferer also have precedence in the Jewish scripture and other second temple uh, literature, they do not have the grand uh, soteriological impact of the scale of the Exodus event. So by using the Passover as his theological lens, Luke is able, I believe, to achieve two outcomes. So first, he's able to establish the continuity and parallels between Israel's foundational story and the new foundational story through Jesus. And secondly, Luke is able to explain the necessity of Jesus' death. Now, death is an essential part of the Jewish Passover story and similarly essential for the Exodus liberation. There will be no Exodus without the notion of death, so no liberation without the slaughtered Passover lambs. And Luke seems to understand this connection and makes extensive use of it. And as shows above, virtually all elements of the Passover theme, whether the time marker, the storyline, the sacrifice, or the ritual meal, all point to Jesus' death. In fact, through the lens of Passover, I believe Luke is able to explain the necessity of Jesus' death for the program of salvation. Yeah. In your book, you also see a Passover motif in the story of Jesus' birth in Luke 2. Would you explain that for us? Um, yeah. Um, I argue that in my book, in Luke 2, chapter 2, we can find Passover theme in both the passage of the birth of Jesus and later, more clearly, 
actually in the passage when Jesus went to the temple of Jerusalem uh, during the Passover. Um, but uh, I will I will say more on the the birth of Jesus. Um, I give uh, three arguments about the possibility of a Passover motif in the story of the Jesus birth. So first, already in Luke chapter one, we can find numerous references and allusions to the broader theme of Exodus, increasing the possibility of similar uh, similar references in the birth narrative. And secondly, um, my argument is on the notion of Jesus as the firstborn. We have in Luke 2 verse 7 uh, says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. And I think Luke seems to invoke the Exodus story, as especially where, where God calls Israel his firstborn, showing God's special relation to his people. In the book of Exodus, there is a clear interplay in the use of the term. If Pharaoh does not release God's firstborn, that is Israel, then God will kill all the firstborn of the Egyptians. At the same time, God will protect all the firstborn of the Israelites from the death threat. Now, in turn, God requires the Israelites to sacrifice firstborn male animals to him in order to redeem their firstborn. It's recorded in Exodus uh, chapter 13. So support for the Exodus context of the term is found later when Jesus visits the temple of Jerusalem for the first time uh, during his infancy. Luke notes that Jesus' parents take him there to fulfill the Mosaic law regarding the firstborn son. So we have it says that every firstborn male or every male which opens the womb shall be designated as holy to the Lord. It's found in Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 22 to 23. So the Passover association of the firstborn ritual can be derived from the fact that in the Jewish scripture, the firstborn ritual is always linked to the Passover rescue. So we find the same uh, commands found in Exodus 13, verse 12. It says there, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. And the command to set apart the firstborn male is stated actually three times in Exodus 13. And all these passages tie the firstborn ritual to God's salvific acts in Egypt, especially uh, the slaying of the firstborn. So if all the, these texts connect the firstborn ritual to the Passover rescue, then one should suspect that Luke knows about this tradition and might have incorporated it into his narrative. If this is the case, then identifying Jesus as the firstborn, I think, implies two things. So first, it denotes Jesus' special relations to God parallel to the relation between Israel and Yahweh. And second, by recalling and having Jesus participating in the firstling sacrifice, Luke seems to introduce the Passover rescue story into the background. That's my uh, second um, argument. Now to my third argument, 
um, is about the depiction of the shepherd watching by night. In Luke 2 verse 8, Luke states that the shepherds were in the fields keeping watch over the flock by night. Now, there are numerous interpretations on the significance of the story um, of the shepherds in Luke 2. But despite all the differences, all the proposed interpretations usually focus on the symbolic identity or quality of the shepherds. Um, none, however, has analyzed the night setting and the shepherd's action in order to understand their role in the birth narrative. And given my findings about the importance of the relation between Passover and the time or the night salvation, I think that a night setting might have a greater importance than being merely the, the background of, of the story, especially when it is placed in the context of God's salvation. So while the story of God's salvation can be found uh, virtually everywhere in the Old Testament and within a variety of contexts, it is more likely to associate the notion of night salvation or nocturnal salvation with the Passover. Because we, we, we have it in, in Exodus 12, the Passover night rescue. They are rescued at night. So in the Lucan passage, we have both the night setting and the message of salvation. There Luke writes that the shepherds keep their flocks by night, and on that night, an angel of the Lord proclaims to them the good news that a savior is born on that day. So even though the nocturnal setting alone uh, does not prove the presence of an allusion to the Passover, I believe uh, this is the first hint uh, of the concept. The, the second hint is found in the action of the shepherds. Now Luke notes that they are in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. Uh, the issue is whether to take the phrase in a neutral sense, a mere setting for what is to come, or in a more theological sense. If it's in the more theological sense, the notion of keeping watch or better, the obligation to keep watch as, at night um, is a motif actually found in the Passover night rescue. So in Exodus 12:42, we have these notions of the religious duty of watching at night. So the night uh, watch or the night vigil is in response to God's great act of salvation. So if uh, the salvation by night is part of people's religious repertoire. We have to rethink the significance of this uh, uh, Lucan phrase. Night rescue, I think, is close to the memory of the Passover rescue. Luke does not uh, situate Jesus' birth by night. Uh, strictly speaking, it is the announcement of the shepherds that takes place at night. So the question is this, is it particularly important to have the declaration of salvation depicted by night? Now, if the Exodus is indeed in the background, then the night is a reminiscence of the Passover rescue. And furthermore, one of the reasons why the shepherds are suitable as the first recipients of the good news 
is because they kept watch by night. So they might represent the proper attitude of the righteous, that is to keep watch for God's uh, coming salvation. And following the angelic proclamation and praise, the shepherds decide to go to see the Savior in Bethlehem. So we see in Luke uh, 2 that they went in haste and found Jesus there, just as the angel had said to them. Now, if Luke actually alludes the motive of the night watch, then the motive of haste uh, documented here might also allude to Israel's hasty journey out from Egypt uh, during the Passover night. So those are the three arguments that, that, that I use uh, to try to show the presence of the Passover uh, in the story of the birth of uh, Jesus. Danny, what are some ways that the book of Acts also appropriates Passover? Yeah, in, in, in Acts, my, my focus is on the story of Peter and Paul. So I begin with the assumptions that Luke seems to construct the ending sections of Peter and Paul along similar lines to the passion uh, resurrection of Jesus. So one can see Acts 12 as the climax and closure of Peter's story in Acts. Likewise, um, Acts 27 to 28 is the climax of Paul's story in Acts, uh, Paul as the main protagonist there. So these parallel versions of passion narrative um, indicate the likelihood that the Passover theme found in the passion of Jesus will also be found in the passions of Peter and of Paul. And in fact, uh, this is exactly what I try to argue. I try to show that in the narrative endings of Peter and Paul, Luke appropriates the pairing of Passover and passion to tell the foundational story of God's salvation. So first in, uh, in, in, in Acts 12, uh, Acts 12 is basically the rescue story of Peter. There, Peter is imprisoned and is waiting for his execution after the Passover. But he is miraculously saved by an angel. And some scholars have argued that the time marker recalls the passion of Jesus. Similar to Jesus, Peter is arrested during the Passover festival and is to be executed afterwards. But nevertheless, apart from the parallel to Jesus, um, the temporal reference should, I believe, also point to the Passover and Exodus theme. In this way, the temporal marker has the same function as the one found in the Passion story. So both stories, uh, both temporal markers refer back to the Passover story in Exodus 12. Furthermore, in Acts 12, Luke goes further by showing that the rescue takes place at night. Uh, for Herod, it is the night before he will execute Peter. For Peter, it is a night of bondage in a heavily guarded prison. But for God, it is the time of his uh, night rescue. So by introducing the motif of night rescue, I think Luke is able to recall the Passover night uh, a salvation or Passover night rescue. So the Passover time marker in Acts 12 
should cause a certain expect, uh, expectation of the outcome of the story. It should be a story of salvation. And indeed, Acts 12 is a story of salvation. And further support for the possible allusions in this passage is found in what the angel does and says. So, for example, after waking Peter up, the angel instructs him to rise quickly. While the wording, uh, while the wording differs, the motif of hastiness is also found in the Jewish uh, Passover rescue. So we have the similar um, hastiness motif here. Uh, furthermore, the angel commands Peter to gird himself and put, out, put on his sandals. And this order is also similar to that in Exodus 12, verse 11, where the Israelite, uh, Israelites must eat the Passover with their loins girded and with sandals on their feet. So this dense uh, Passover and Exodus language, in my uh, opinion, should cause us to, to pause. They are not random words or phrases picked up by Luke just to tell of Peter's miraculous release. Most likely, uh, Luke deliberately chooses words and phrases that are specific enough to recall the Passover story. Now that's uh, Acts 12, the rescue of, 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 of Peter. And how about uh, the rescue of Paul in Acts 27? And in this chapter, Paul, together with other people, is on a ship and being rescued from a shipwreck due to heavy storm. And among all the details there, one possible Passover allusion in this episode is this uh, curious reference to the ordinal number 14. Now, to begin with, throughout the New Testament, the ordinal number 14 only appears twice, and both are found in Acts 27. So Acts 27, verse 27, when the 14th night had come, and then in verse 33, today is the 14th day. So in the story, because of the heavy storm, the people on board lose their hope of being safe. What they do not know is that on the previous night, an angel of, the, of God has reassured Paul that God will grant safety to all the passengers. And afterward, Paul makes the promise of salvation known to all of them. Paul says that they need to do what they need to do now is to land the ship. And afterwards, Luke notes that the promise begins to take shape on the 14th night. So on that particular night, they finally close to the land. And later, before the dawn, Paul urged his companions to nourish themselves with food. And he said this, today is the 14th day. And then Paul reiterates the divine promise that none of them will perish. So on that day, Paul shares this a Eucharist-like meal with all of them. And on that day, all of them reached the land safely. The turning point that takes place on the 14th day and 14th uh, night suggests 
that that particular time marker has a symbolic significance for the rescue story. So it is while it is true that in itself 14 does not automatically recall Passover, uh, nevertheless, when it is set within a context of death threat and rescue, uh, one cannot dismiss the connection easily. So, so in conclusion, uh, I think Luke highlights the soteriological message of the shipwreck rescue through the Passover-like timing and the Eucharist-like meal. So God's salvation in Jesus is extended to include the Gentiles. And, and what is more, Luke somehow refuses to cut off the link uh, between the Gentile mission and the foundational story of Israel. So for him, uh, the Gentile mission is the continuation of salvation history, which is rooted in the Exodus liberation. So thus the allusion to the Passover in Acts 27. Well, you've made a strong case for the appropriation of Passover in Luke-Acts, but now the question is why? Why does Luke so emphasize Passover in his writings? Uh, yeah, um, the, the placement of the Passover allusions throughout Luke-Acts, I think, serve as an important clue to explain uh, why Luke appropriates the Passover in his writings. Um, Luke does not just employ the Passover allusions when possible, rather he only uses it in uh, strategic places. So the implications and effect of this placement, I think, can be seen in two aspects. One is the narrative structure and the other is the soteriology of Luke. Now, in terms of uh, narrative structure, um, I see a, 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 a structural pattern that uh, shed some light to the macro outline of Luke and X. So those placements uh, support the divisions of the Lucan Gospels into uh, chapters 1 and 2, that's the infancy uh, narrative, and then chapter 3 to 24. And then when it goes to the Book of Acts, uh, the division is uh, between chapter 1 to 12, that is the uh, the story of Peter, and then chapter 13 to 28, the story of Paul. And then all the uh, uh, Passover allusions, uh, the main Passover allusions, which is related to the Passion, are found in the climax or the closure of each section. So in uh, looks one to two, the infancy narrative, we have the main uh, references to Passover in, in the story of the boy Jesus uh, going to the temple of Jerusalem during the Passover. And then in Acts, we find it in the uh, climax or the closure of the uh, Petrine sections, Acts 12, and then the closure of the Pauline sections, Acts uh, 27. So uh, it is safe to conclude, I think, that the juxtapositions of Passover passion in the narrative uh, functions as the model of Luke's design for the closure of the, uh, the, the other sections. Now, if, if my interpretation is correct, then it helps to explain the seemingly unnecessary addition 
of the Passover passion related stories in each of those uh, 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 climax or in each of those closures. That is in Luke 2, verse 41 to 51, in Acts 12, and in Acts 27. So um, let me go uh, uh, one by one. For the infancy narrative, scholars, uh, many scholars think that Luke 2, 39 to 40, provides actually sufficient closure. In that passage, Luke notes that after the baby Jesus returns to Nazareth, he grows stronger, is filled with wisdom, and God's favor is upon him. So this summary would tie nicely to the closure of the stories pertaining to John the Baptist, because John, the child, also grows and becomes strong in spirit. So in this slide, the presence of uh, Luke 2:41 to 52 seems to disrupt the narrative structure. But on the contrary, uh, this study shows that uh, Luke 2, 41, 52 is a necessary closure for Luke 1 to 2. For Luke, the section can only be ended with a mention of the Passover Passion uh, theme, which also incorporates the Passion Resurrection movement of Jesus. So I believe it has to end with the prefigurations of Jesus' Passion and Resurrection which is the realization of God's uh, salvation. So Luke employs the Passover allusion to aid uh, this understanding. Now, moving to Acts 12, some scholars also question the function of this passage within the larger narrative of Acts. As one scholar puts it, uh, at first sight, he said that the story is unnecessary to the developing theme of the expansion of the church. And had it been omitted, we should not have noticed the loss. Now, nevertheless, I believe Luke wants his reader to be aware of Acts 12. And among other matters, he wants them to notice the reenactment of the story of passion resurrection, which is now reflected in the rescue story of Peter. Now, the passion resurrection has to be present. Now, to, and to indicate this, Luke used uh, Passover allusions to amplify the soteriological significance of the story. For Acts 27, um, the question is not the importance of the sea rescue, but rather on the relatively lengthy presentation of the Sea for Yas episode. Uh, some feel that the passage is too long with unnecessary details. And however, this study holds that one of Luke's main reasons for making a lengthy presentation is to depict a passion of Paul parallel that to of uh, Peter and Jesus. So for Luke, the story of Paul has to include the reenactment of the passion uh, resurrection in its closure. And this is why we find allusions to the Passover. So Acts 27, I think, is not an ordinary rescue story. It symbolizes the Passion Resurrection, which has a great um, soteriological effect uh, for the people. So in the case of Acts 27, I believe it supports the inclusions of the Gentiles uh, in God's salvation. 
So all three Passover-related passages above, the infancy narrative, rescue of Peter, rescue of Paul, have to mirror the Passover passion story of Jesus in Luke 22 to 24. So for Luke, the Passover passion story of Jesus serves as the paradigm for his narrative, especially in the climax or closure of his main uh, narrative sections. Now, Luke does not only place the Passover markers in strategic locations to frame his narrative, but also affects his theological constructions. My investigation uh, shows that Luke colors the three turning points of Jesus' life with Passover allusions, his birth, his passion, and his second coming. And the main theological reason for the attachment lies behind what Passover is associated with. As indicated earlier, whenever Passover is present, two other themes are not far behind. So we can find also the passion of Jesus and the message of salvation. So Luke appropriates Passover first and foremost to explain the necessity of Jesus' death in inaugurating God's eschatological salvation. So um, in conclusions, the, con the continuous recurrences of the pairing of Passover and Passion in Luke and Acts I think uh, confirm the importance and the primacy of Jesus's death in Lucan soteriology. So just as there is no Exodus liberation without the Passover, likewise, there is no salvation without the passion. Danny, tell us what you're up to these days before we let you go. Are you working on any other books? Um, yeah, um, last year, actually, I gave a, a paper on a conference about uh, Sola Fide, and uh, the, the topic of my paper was uh, finding Sola Fide in the Gospel of Luke. So I try to, uh, try to understand how does Luke explain uh, the saving faith, especially in the phrase, your faith uh, has saved you. Um, it was a, um, a great learning experience, and it actually deepens my interest in the notion of faith in general in uh, Luke-Acts. So what is faith for Luke? How is it related to the notion of faith in other parts of the New Testament, and perhaps especially uh, the relation with Paul? And what can the church learn from Luke's uh, teaching on, on faith. So it, it is a, a research project, but it's uh, on a very uh, early stage of it. And um, I'm also planning to write a textbook on the introduction to biblical theology, but in uh, Indonesian language. So because, well, uh, this uh, study began, began to flourish in, in, in Indonesia, an Indonesian textbook on this topic is still uh, very rare. So I do hope to, to, to con contribute a bit on this field. So yeah, those are perhaps the two projects I attempt uh, to do. Danny, it's been a joy. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you very much as well. 
All right, friends, you've been listening to New Books in Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, as we've been talking with Danny Christopher about his recent book, The Appropriation of Passover in Luke Acts. Until next time, goodbye.